Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Talking today about facing loss and recovery, and our second guest is Jane Galbraith. Jane Galbraith worked as a nurse extensively in the community sector. Her work in palliative hospice care and her own personal experience with the loss of her mother in 1993 inspired her to write the book, Baby Boomers Face Grief, Survival, and Recovery. Welcome to the show, Jane, and welcome back, Gloria. Hi, Jane. Great to have you on. Oh, thank you very much. It's great to talk to you. I love the title of your book, Baby Boomers Face Grief. I mean, it's kind of uh, face grief, but uh, the whole baby boomer idea is interesting because, Heidi, you're in that era, right? Absolutely, and I'm very interested to have you on the show today because I am someone that's father-in-law died seven years ago, and my mother-in-law now has Alzheimer's. So I'm interested in, very interested in your book and interested in your own personal story and how you came to write this book. Well, there's certainly enough of uh, enough of us around uh, the North American continent. About 90 million, I believe. Wow. We're we're going to be going through this as a, a another uh, generation changing things. I hope for the better than than the way we deal with grief in our society now. Mm-hmm. I uh, I lost my mom in 1993, and uh, because of my experience with. Uh, my own personal experience with work and, and being a nurse and dealing with palliative and hospice patients and um, seeing all of that and and being close to my mother. I, I thought I had a, a pretty good perspective on just how bad this experience was going to be whenever it happened. And I guess what started this whole process was the fact of how shocked I was at how difficult that journey was and how irritated I got with what I recognized our way our society doesn't deal with it and um, wants people just to get on with it and have closure and gives all these arbitrary time frames for this to occur. And, and like you said, people make statements that, like, for example, what you said in your book, uh, well, they had a good life. They lived a long life. Your parents lived a long life. Those kind of statements, which are not right. helpful. right. I mean, people are, you know, in in essence, people are kind. You know, they're caring people. Right. I think the main problem is is that we just don't, because we don't talk about it, we don't educate each other about what this process and experience is going to be like. And baby boomers are unique, um, as <laughs> as always. We we've lived a different life than previous generations. We've been very spoiled and. You know we're in, we're we're used to instant pain relief, and grief, as you know, is pain, and it doesn't go away instantly. There's no pill to take. There's no holistic medicine. There's no nothing that will get this over with, except in the time that it's supposed to take, whatever that time is. Right, and and you know, no matter how old we are, I don't think we're ever prepared to lose our parents or to be orphans. Yeah, that's that's often I I heard that from so many people that when their parents die, they do no matter what age they are, they do they feel lost in this world without them. 
you know, there are anchors, you know. Right. There are go-to people. If we have questions, problems, we want to brainstorm with somebody. Um, and, and our ultimate cheerleaders often as well, right? I mean, absolutely. who's a better you know, cheerleader than our parents, you know? We're also historians. Mm-hmm. Exactly. They they have that that history that we have that connection to the past. We we lose all of those answers to questions we never asked. Um, it's it's a it's a huge um, cut in our lives when when that that part is is no longer there. So I think a lot of people are just not going to be prepared for this life event that is ultimately going to happen. It's not a matter of of if it's a matter of when and um, it can have horrendous repercussions with personal relationships and work and because of the way I'm afraid baby boomers are not going to handle this well so so in that vein what do you think that we can do to, to prepare ourselves or to become prepared well I think part of it is um, changing the way we deal with people going through these losses is we need to very simply just, not that everyone is going to be talking, talking, talking about their feelings, but we don't generally give people permission to talk about their feelings. Mm-hmm. We may talk about the person who's died, and that, that is helpful if we allow that person to bring up their name, but even then often people won't even want to mention the name of, of the person who's died. But even just if we give start to give people that permission by really asking how how they're doing and acknowledging, validating the fact this must be a really difficult time, even if it's six months after the death has occurred, because you know that this is not something that you just get over in a month or two. I mean, you're probably just getting out of the shock and numbness phase at that point. And as, corpor- as, as workplace and employers... I think they're going to have to change their whole corporate culture to acknowledge those kinds of uh, feelings of their employees and the fact that they're not going to be as productive an employee for a period of time and incorporate that into their whole way of, of dealing with employees. I don't think people are very sympathetic, particularly if it's an older parent. I mean, you know, that's the, that's the way of life. Yeah, it's the way of life. They've had a good life. and. The problem is, is those two, you know, the fact they've had a good life and the fact that you're really, really sad about the fact they're, they've died are not mutually exclusive. Yes, they've had a good life, which means that you've had them longer in your life, that they've, been, they, they've meant even more to you, that you've loved them longer. Um, so that doesn't mean that it's going to minimize how we feel. It's going to actually increase how we feel mm-hmm. in That's terms very of sadness. And sometimes you're taking care of them. You've, you've been very involved with them. And for some people, they're out of a job in a way. So it's it's a big shocker. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, as you know, grief can, can uh, occur from any loss. And just the loss of that caregiving and, and caretaking role can be a, a grief in itself, you know, um, having spent, depending on what involvement you've had, I mean, it could be a live-in situation that you were 24-7 involved with the care of, of your parent for years, you know. As you say, it was your job. And then all of a sudden, not only are they gone, but so is your job. 
so is your role and, and how you see yourself in the world. Uh, I would also see the other thing being if you, say, lose a father, uh, you may have to start taking care of your mother. The baby boomers who've been pretty much taking care of themselves and and the first time that we've all, you know, people of women have, you know, reached their area where they're more, uh, have better jobs and, and more women working and that kind of thing. And suddenly that's got to be a disrupted world. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I, and I don't think, I don't think we're, we're prepared for any of that. I mean, baby boomers have been, um, you know, the ones that have sort of plowed their own uh, path and, and change, they've changed a lot of things in our society. Um, and part of that is going to be being part of this sandwich generation. You know, well, they've got their kids and they've got their parents. And and that's definitely where I am at this point because I have two small children and then I have a mother-in-law with Alzheimer's. And when my father-in-law died, we began supporting her financially. Right. So now I'm kind of in between, you know, it's like you said, the sandwich generation. We're not only taking care of our children, but we're taking care of our parents, and we're working, and it's it's a lot of stress, I think, for that for this generation. Oh, for sure. And, you know, all of that affects all parts of our life, our, our home life, our personal relationships, our, our work. Um, it affects every part of our... But with employers, you, you rarely see them talking about grief per se you you see it called depression you see it called stress you see it called you know other things but they don't identify uh a, you know grief in itself as a particular issue of uh lack of productivity but the grief reco- I don't know if you're familiar with the grief recovery institute in the states as well as a branch tell me more about it and they produced a, a document that was called the Grief Recovery uh, Index, mm-hmm. and they quantified the amount of lost productivity. This was back in 2003. They've been dealing with over 25,000 people who have been grieving over the years, and I guess they had them do uh, surveys and studies, and they came up with figures for just the loss of a loved one the loss of productivity in the United States in 2003 was $37.5 billion. Wow. If you added up all of the losses that they they uh, talked about, which was divorce and financial and a whole bunch of them, the total was $75 billion for the year. Now, that was in 2003, so I can only imagine what the numbers are now. And uh, and one of the problems with it is that's that's amazing uh, the loss of productivity and one of the problems I think is that they grief is seen as abnormal so we don't adjust for it and and you're saying that we may have to change our whole work environment right? Well, yeah, because you know people it's hard to I guess it's hard to get stats on this and this institute did it through their their talking to people going through the process. But it, it affects every level of, of the um, work environment, from the top CEO down to, you know, a, a construction worker or whatever the job is. The fact is cognitive skills like decision-making and concentration and focus get, you know, terribly skewed when you're going through this, especially initially, and sometimes might not even hit you till six months later. And when you think of all of the different kinds of physical, emotional, cognitive things that you go through during the grief process, and you transfer those to how does that affect your work environment, that can cause a great 
lot of problems with uh, mistakes being made, workplace accidents. You know, if you've got a CEO who can't make a decision about a, his company or makes the wrong decision or can't focus. So, um, so Jane, Jane, I'm going to interrupt you for a minute because sorry. we're coming up on break. But after break, I think I'd be interested in hearing from you about what changes you'd like to see. Okay. Yep. In mind. How people can get in touch with you? Sure. Um, well, they could contact me directly at... Uh, Jane, J-A-N-E dot Galbraith uh, at simpatico.ca. Or uh, the book is also available on the trafford.com website. They just need to uh, type in Baby Boomers Face Grief in the bookstore or Amazon. Uh, quite a few of the other websites have, have uh, the book available as well. Or if they wanted, sometimes they want me to inscribe it with a certain, if they, they're giving it to someone, I've had a number of people start giving it to their friends as sympathy cards instead of a, so they want something inscribed in it. So Because you have some good advice in there for folks. It's been, you know, I think that the feedback I've gotten for the most part, which I ask for it continually, is that people feel very alone and very much like they're going crazy during this process. Mm-hmm. And however I've written it, you, you never know when you write a book exactly how it's going to be perceived, but I get a lot of comments that I've represented what they're feeling. And just the fact that they know that this isn't something that is uncommon, unusual, that these dips and valleys and roller coaster rides that they're going through is normal, it almost is. Is, is validating to them and, and self-assuring that they're they're going to be okay. I agree with you, and that in and of itself is healing. And and like you said, oftentimes our feelings are not acknowledged and validated. So when people come in, I mean, I see clients all the time that have had parents die, and they say, "I feel jealous that other people have parents. I feel angry. I feel gypped, and I feel like something's wrong with me because I feel like this." Yes, and and they have this perception because you know. Because of all those uh, the stages that we've all heard of, um, the fact, uh, the reality is, is that we go through different stages and we go back and we go forward and we, you know, it's an up and down and different intensities of emotions and or emotions colliding at the same time, that there isn't a defined pattern that happens. And that's what people are looking for, I think. I think they're looking for a checklist that, okay, well, I've got through anger, now I'm on to you know whatever um that's that's a problem we're we're very maybe too organized and think well we have to go through this checklist and it just it just doesn't happen that way so the baby boomers might be too organized yeah that's <laughs> all right <laughs> could be <laughs> and, and they just have to let the trust in the process and allow it to happen it sounds like yeah i mean it does you know you know all sorts of i guess what people don't recognize is that all sorts of things may trigger them. Um, certainly things like anniversaries and special days. What I've found by, you know, with the bereavement groups I facilitate as well as talking to people is that often the anticipation of those anniversaries and special events or birthdays, they start worrying about how bad that day is going to be weeks before the, the actual day. It takes an enormous amount of energy to do that and by the time they get to the day, you know, it's not a great day, 
but it could probably never be as bad as what they anticipated it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, the other part of the energy is the energy that people have to, to put on to look normal to other people around them, you know, to act the way they used to act. And uh, they want to be that person again, but they're not right then, you know. They may never be exactly the same person. These, this event is a life-altering event that may hopefully bring you out the other side of it, a, a better person and um, a more empathetic and maybe have a, a richer life because of it. But you and have I, to always, I always say it's the next chapter in our lives. Sure, yeah. It's a different world. It's a new world, and you're a new person um, in that world. And hopefully, having learned something, it can also make you stronger for the next, you know, loss or, or um, life situation that throws at you. You know, you learn from these things as you go through. But so, so, Jane, what are some of the things that baby boomers can do, and you've touched on a lot of them, to... Uh, the face grief survive and recover, as your book says. Well, I think one of the main things is is they have to find somebody to talk to or get those emotions out to be able to verbalize or even if it's not verbalizing, journaling. Um, they have to use the resources that are available to them, whether that be a friend that is willing to be there to listen on those bad days again and again and again and again. Um, there, we now have, and certainly baby boomers got pushed into this with all the Internet and communication, there are many websites uh, for information like, you know, the Open to Hope website, but there's other websites for, you know, chat rooms and grief support, memorial kinds of um, uh, websites to, to, to honor the person who's gone or bereavement support groups or clergy or a counselor they need to they need to find some way not to bury the, these feelings and that's what a lot of people do that would be my number one thing they need to do they also have to be good to themselves they have to take care of themselves and say no to social events that they just don't have the energy to go to um, do what's best for them and not be um, persuaded through the um, peer pressure to to do more than they can do at whatever period of time or whatever stage that they're in. Um, mm-hmm. Let me think. What else? Those are those are good things. And you know, I've noticed in my work, you know, and I have a private practice with people that are grieving, and oftentimes they will come in to my office and just say over and over and over, "I cannot believe the person I love is gone." Yeah. I cannot believe they are dead. And they'll just keep saying it, and just to put it out there to someone that can hear that and not interrupt it and empathize with how difficult that must be can be very healing for people. Oh, for sure. And, I mean, they, the thing is is they still have a relationship with that person. It's just changed. And there's lots of ways that people can make themselves feel better by um, doing, you know, having rituals and ceremonies or, you know, having a lot of pictures around um, keeping up family traditions that have always been there that, you know, are meaningful to them. All of those things, you know, toasts and uh, celebrations and, and that kind of thing are all the kinds of rituals and ceremonies that help people uh, keep that person in their life and not forgotten, but also that makes them feel 
good at, at the same time. You know, it, it's interesting because I've found I have three siblings, and I've found since both of my parents have died, um, we've become closer as adults because we've had to be in charge of it. Our parents weren't there to do it. Mm-hmm. That's right. When and, and when one parent goes, then other people have to fulfill those roles that that person, that parent took. You know, whether it be just very basic, like, housekeeping roles or if it's something that a tradition that that person started and would always do, then somebody else has to do it. And it's good to keep those going, you know, good for someone to jump in, whether it's the, the other spouse or one of the children, to keep that those kinds of things that are have been a constant in our lives still there, that we haven't think- lost yet another another thing. But we also keep the memories alive for our own children. I mean, I want my children to know their grandparents, my my husband's parents. And sure. so I, I, you know, talk about them all the time and what they were like. And, in fact, today my son is drawing a photo of his grandfather. You know, he's, he's in art class. He's decided to draw a picture of him. So, you know, just to keep those memories alive, we are the keepers of those memories, and we can pass them down through the generations. And that's a fabulous idea, as well as the fact that, you're also teaching, we need to be teaching our generation that comes up behind the baby boomers how we do this better than, than the way our society currently is handling it so that they can, they can learn a, a different way rather than the stiff upper lip and, you know, she's holding up so well and be strong and all of those phrases that just makes us think that, well, if we show any kind of emotion, we're weak, you know, mm-hmm. and that seems to be what the the theory is or the thought is out there is, you know, they're, they're doing okay because they're not crying <laughs> at right. that moment. Well, Jane, thank you so much for being on the show today and, and for writing your book and for your interest in helping people move through the loss of parents. Well, it's Thanks, been my Jane. pleasure talking to you both. It's time to close our show. You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio, You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.